Content Advisory. This podcast discusses violence and racial violence in particular. Radio. This is Catholics Read on radio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And this week we are reading Martin Luther King Jr.'s, uh, what is it called? Letter. A letter, letter from a Birmingham jail. Yes. Yes. Which is, um, which is in illusion. Birmingham, Alabama, not, yes, not Birmingham, Birmingham in the UK. Yes. <laughs> uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and I mean, look... Australian history. I don't know. Did you did you learn about Martin Luther King Jr. in like well, not obviously you wouldn't learn in Australian history, but in in history in general. Um, I remember learning. I mean, it so he was sort of touched on when we did uh, the Freedom Rides in Australia okay. with Charles Perkins, okay. and because he modelled his demonstration to end, you know, for Aboriginal rights. Okay, right. Um, Very similar on, time period. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was in the sixties as well. So mm. he was obviously inspired. By Martin Luther King Jr.'s non movement, um, nonviolent resistance movement to, mm, um, mm. yeah, to you know get you know to end segregation in New South Wales towns. New yeah, so- uh, yeah, New South Wales towns like Moree and um, what's the other famous one? I can't remember. It'll it'll come back. It'll come. To okay, me. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. Re- I didn't even really cover that. I mean, I remember in my history classes we covered. I mean, I could have just been not remembering or not paying a lot of attention, unfortunately. But it. I only I mean, remember. I that, only remember the referendum. The mention, yeah. It's really the only mention that that Martin Luther King Jr. has is in his relation to the freedom, <clears throat> the freedom mm, riders. Mm. So he doesn't, he doesn't show up in at the Australian curriculum, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, okay. it's just actually no. Hang on, I didn't learn about it, but I did go back to my high school recently, and one of the classes I stepped in on looked like they were learning about the rights in the South. So I think it actually is there, but most schools don't do it because maybe it's not Australian yeah, history. Yeah, I've sort sure. of only picked it up because of other study and just because, I mean, we're <laughs> sort of... American culture is the dominant culture yeah. well, of the English world. Well, it comes up in so, pop culture all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. But Martin Luther King Jr. does come up in the English curriculum for these uh, famous speeches Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Right, right. The I have a students, dream speech. Look at the I have a dream speech. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Well, and I mean, then, of course, know. if you're going to have, I mean, I haven't sort of read a lot of of King, but I mean, just from from what I have read, and I mean, from his like, yeah, I, I can understand that if you're going to have great works of the English language or great speeches of the English language or great short letters of the English language, that he would be in there somewhere, mm-hmm. um, because he's a fantastic writer. And a fantastic orator. Um, yeah, someone that sort of you imagine was much more common in in ancient times when oratory was much more important um, because you couldn't write letters. <laughs> you had to give speeches. Um, yeah, just has that way with words and is really able to understand, I guess we, we won't go into this, but understand that like Aristotle's idea about what a good orator is in terms mm. of like the way that you argue and... And that kind of thing. See, here's, but- here's the thing, though, with Martin Luther King Jr. that often gets left out with a lot of study of him um, is the tend it's a tendency to despiritualize mm. his stuff. Yes, and yes. one of the things that makes the "I Have a Dream" speech so compelling because, like, the first fifteen minutes of it are pretty pretty boring, actually. Like, there, there's actually nothing really, you know, he, he's saying all the right things and he's making good art, you know, but mm. it's kind of boring. It's not until he gets 
it, it's not until he tur- he go he goes into African American preacher mode yeah. that it starts getting compelling. Mm. And mm. it was his skill as a preacher, mm. not necessarily as an orator in the classical sense, yeah. Yeah. that made him a really compelling figure because he stirred emotions in people. He he stirred. Um, you know, he combined the sort of the classical Western notions of freedom and liberty and all those enlightenment, uh, and you know, ancient enlightenment values, and also with the with the Christian faith, mm. and he melded them together in a compelling vision. Mm. Um, but to take the religion out of you know, you take religion away, Martin Luther King Jr. makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, he makes no, no that's sense exactly as a right. great orator. Yeah, yeah. And um, it doesn't like I mean, you, I've who's someone because he's not. I when, I was, <laughs> when I was learning about in I think it was in political philosophy or in another class um, that in his I have a dream speech you have in the background you can I think you can just faintly hear his father. His father's there present, and his father's like really sort of um, can't think of that encouraging him. Mm. Um, and, like, you sort of get this sense of, and I can't remember if this is what the lecturer mentioned or, or something like that, but you get this sense of, like, that exactly, he's preaching. Like, that's the, that's what's happening is that his father's, his father was a preacher, of mm. course. Um, and you have this, like, this encouragement that he is in that he he's preaching, ultimately. And as you say, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. His work, and this work that, that we're looking at today makes no, it makes no sense. The basis of it, the whole context of it, is um, is about Christianity, um, and so I guess that's a good little segue into into what the letters. About. Yeah, let's give give a bit um, of context. A bit, for of, us a bit of context less informed is informed on the subject. Well, um, I wouldn't myself. say that I'm particularly more informed, but you get the context from the letter itself, where he's, um, of course, as the title suggests, um, King Junior is currently uh, at the time of the writing of the letter, or most of it. Um, imprisoned uh, for his pro- for being part of protests or direct action uh, in in Alabama. Yeah, in Birmingham. Um, and there's a there was a an article written. Uh, I believe it was an it was article an open written letter, by. I think. I think an open um, King Junior's letter is a response to um, a number of people from various Christian denominations, Catholic included, um, who had made some comments that they were a little bit cautious um, about. King Jr.'s um, methods of direct action. And they were sort of more favouring a kind of bureaucratic, legal, um, judicial approach to to the situation, which is to try and fight it in the courts, to try and negotiate on a governmental level. King Jr.'s response is ultimately... He he responds on a kind of... Yeah, we've tried that. Yeah, he he has a point-by-point kind of response to some of their comments as an attempt to justify... Um, well, successful attempt. Yeah, you. yes. Very successful yes. attempt. To, to justify his actions, um, both in terms of the history of his own, I guess, cultural heritage and that it is in the United States, but also the Christian heritage um, because he is speaking to fellow Christians. Yeah. Um, and exactly as you said, this letter doesn't make, it makes no sense outside of outside of the Christian framework. It's, you know, full of biblical references. Everyone from Nebuchadnezzar to St. Paul to, mm. you know, mm. if you don't know your Bible, you'll go, you look at that going, yeah, it would, it would require. No, they're not. They're Jewish and they're from like, the, <laughs> you know, they're from like the Babylonian occupation. So, mm. you know, mm. um, and it's, it's, it's it, the way he weaves everything together, jumping from Socrates to Aristotle to Aquinas to mm. St. Augustine to, 
uh, with all full of biblical references. Yeah, T.S. Eliot. He he he's a he is a. What's beautiful to see here is a is a well educated man, and who is who is who is in full command of his education because you often find people who are technically very well educated and yet adults. Um, you know, are idiots in all other in all other regards, yeah, and they don't know how to use their educated or I guess I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you having a I'm, lot of knowledge. Yeah, they have a lot of knowledge, yeah. but they're not well educated. They're not in command of their learning and putting it to um, putting it in context and making use of it. And um, it's a delight to read. Mm. It's a really easy read. It flows beautifully. Um, the logical structure just unfolds like Which clockwork. Which is remarkable given, and I mean, mind you, it's been edited like for, for publication, but it's remarkable given the fact that he wrote this letter on scraps of paper in the margins of newspapers, like, because he wrote this in prison. Like, yeah. they didn't, they, they, there was and no way that he could have watched. a desk, you know, and paper and that kind of thing. Like, he was in prison and he had to work with what he had in prison. And so it was basically in bits and pieces. And, and had I, to be I, kind of I, I, I wouldn't be surprised too if his correspondence was being watched. So if he or if he was being denied the opportunity to correspond with people because given he was the leader of difficult. a, given mm. he, he was a leader of a resistant, you know, of a resistance movement, people mm. would have been wanting in Alabama to you know shut him up for a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. that wouldn't surprise me if that was the uh, unspoken policy. Perhaps, yeah. Um, Hence but why the newspapers writing in the margins writing of newspapers. Writing in margins of newspapers and basically use, using what you've got and, and yeah. the um, But the letter itself is mostly, as I said, mostly focused on a defence and, I guess, encouragement of direct action, of nonviolent direct action. Um, and so he's looking at, at, at attempting to just, and as we said, successfully uh, justify his actions in light of, I guess, a more timid response, which would be to say, well, look, you know, it's, you know, we can't take these things too quickly. He responds to the accusation of being an extremist. And it's the kind of thing that it's things, I don't think things have particularly changed. You're always going to have, I guess, in a sense, King Jr. is being a prophet, in a sense, Mm. in the sense, in, in the sense of he's shaking up the status quo. People are very comfortable with where they are, and he he doesn't he doesn't well, he does criticize his his fellow um, his fellow Christian clergymen, um, both white and black. Yes, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily um, he criticizes them, but mind you, he still he acknowledges like the good things that they've done. So he acknowledges their good things that people have do- that mm. that they've done, um, but he really drives home this this idea that complacency is wrong. Like, we mm. can't be complacent. And it's very easy to be complacent when when you're not being affected by something. And, yeah, it basically was, you know, justice denied, you know, justice delayed is justice, justice denied. denied. Which is and what so, he quotes in there. Yeah. yeah, which he, you know, which he quotes in there. And um, he, you know, basically he's, basically what he is trying to do, what he's trying to do is that this situation has gotten to the point where something extreme is required, but violence is not an option. Mm. So what do we do instead? He, he sees himself as the balance the between, between the, the complacency and the, the ex- black, extremism you know, the, the black in the- Yeah. The black, yeah. Na- you, know, um, you know, extreme black supremacism, mm. you know, like the Black mm. Panther movement and all that sort of, you know, the, the more violent strains of it. Mm. Um, mm. And basically his argument's like, listen- I'm trying to be the moderate. I'm trying to be the middle ground here. I've got to. Ge- I've got to do something very obvious, very public, and confronting—not violent, but confronting. 
in order to make a change or else people are going to have to resort to the real extremists. Yeah. Call me an yeah. extremist if you want, but, you know, that's like saying Jesus is an extremist, exactly. which is exactly, exactly true. He like, he actually... Yeah. Ingr- yeah. And, you know, this... I mean, Robert, Father Robert Barron talks about Martin Luther King Jr. a lot. Mm. Um, and, you know, he... Because, you know, he was sort of grew up with, you know, grew up, you know, grew up in the, in the 60s and stuff when all this was happening. And um, Robert Barron just, ha- you know, absolutely loves Martin Luther King Jr. And mm. he get, uh, sorry, Bishop Robert Barron. Yes. Bishop Robert Barron. <laughs> sorry. I'm not used to his new title. Um, he gets on to, he, go- he goes in with this um, beautiful sort of um, summary of what he's doing, which is provocative nonviolence. Mm. Mm. Um, and relates it to what Jesus was doing, which, and, you know, both of the, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr. knew the Gospels and he put them into action. He created the modern day equivalent of turn the other cheek. Mm. Um, and, you know, carry, you know, carry the, you know, carry the load for two miles instead of one and all that, you know, offer your cloak and, you know, not offer, not just your, your cloak, but your tunic too. Mm. Like just mm. really, he, he re- took that and translated it into a time, into a new context very, very effectively. And as we know, like, you know, he scared enough people that someone decided that he had to go and shot him. Um, And then also, but also he inspired a movement that actually, you know, brought about, you know, brought about a huge move for justice for African-American people. Yeah. That, you know, they'd been suffering under for 300 years. Mm, mm. And it's um, that's a, that's a, I think that's quite a that's quite a good summary because mm. he pretty much encapsulated a lot of a lot of from the various parts there, what what he talks about, um, and I guess there's there's a lot that I think we can learn from his letter there because it's very I think it is very easy to kind of be complacent um, because we I guess we do we do live somewhat comfortable comfortable lives and often it's only when things start getting uncomfortable. That we start looking, I guess, looking looking to do something, as they say. Um, he, King Junior's purpose is to make people uncomfortable. Mm. That's what he wants. Very to do. He wants to make people uncomfortable because he wants to be able to say, for I can't remember the exact quote, but he he basically says that we need to basically rouse people out of their comfort so that they can. So that basically, it's what is it? he uses the example of a boil. That basically, if a boil is left covered, it's just going to fester and and become wounded, and, and it's not going to go. It's not going to heal. But we need to basically expose the boil to light and air, to light and air, and yes. lance and lance the thing. And yeah, and and let it let it just be there and in, in all its horridness, and then it will be healed. Yeah. And in that sense, I think that there's a lot that we can learn there with with a lot of things. Um, sadly, we do like as I said, we do live in a very complacent. We live in a complacent society in part because we do have a lot of material comfort, I think. Mm. Um, and so, it's very easy for us to, to to shut away because, I mean, I've got a full stomach, you know, I've got, I've got a, a bed to bed sleep in, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I can continue my life and not really think about anything of particular importance and it wouldn't seem to affect my my health um, or, or my well-being. Um King Jr. is not saying that he wants to take away people's health or well-being. No, he, he wants, wants to make to, sure everyone has some. He, he, wants to, <laughs> he wants to bring about a state when you can't ignore it. You just can't ignore it any longer. Um, and I think, I think that perhaps, I don't know, before I go on, 
I'm like, Victoria, was there anything in particular? No. I need to, I'm trying to find the bit I want to quote. So okay. Keep going. Okay. I wish I had control left on the phone. Um, you, hang on. But, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we were, in case you're wondering what that slight interruption was what? just then. Victoria. We're just helping, we're just helping Victoria. Um, <laughs> technological difficulties. Um, I didn't even know iPhones could do that, all right? So, yeah, you know, it's I think I had to Google it once. I'm like, surely there's a way. I don't know. Um, what were you saying, sorry, Kara? No, I, one of the one of the things that I've that I really enjoyed about this was the the very very um, one, one. This is a, this is very very contextual. It is very contextual in the sixties, the civil rights fifties and sixties, the civil rights movement in the United States. But it's also got so many universal lessons for anyone mm. who, it, for any person or group of people who are suffering under. Um, violent resistance in a relatively stable society. I mean, to be honest, this letter probably won't do much for the Rohingya Muslims in Burma, for example, because they're at their, the level of threat is at a violent threat is an existential level, and mm. I don't think nonviolent resistance is going to do anything for them. But for many, like for many, in many other cases where there is case a real sort of legal. Uh, when you've got a stable political, when you've got a stable social political environment and a, a um, deeply embedded legal discriminatory structure, there are a number of countries that have this, uh, and there are a number of countries that still have, you know, still discriminate quite severely against various groups in their society on ver- for various reasons, and so this provides a real, you know, this this provides a real sense of. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like you know, introduction. You know, introduction to you know, nonviolence one hundred and one. Yeah. What are the steps you need to do? You know, what are the things mm. you have to do? And one of the things that you know, and like before they took any action, before they took any action, before, you know, once once they decided that all all other strategies had failed, they tried to talk to people, they tried to talk to businesses. It got nowhere. Um, you know, they tried to make change. You know. In other, you know, in other, you know, other ways, without breaking any of the laws, just or unjust, and then it got to the point where none of it was effective. So they got to get, so they got together, and they trained, mm. and they went through a process of he training. Call, he and calls he called it, it self purification, and he calls mm. it self purification because in order to do what these guys did, I don't know, I the the psychological the psychological preparedness you have to be because when someone hits you. And doesn't stop. You can't hit them back. Like even if your animal survival instincts awaken, you can't hit them mm. back. What you know? So I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall involved in those tra- involved in that because it would have been it would have been a terror. You know, it would have been a real challenge to put yourself in those. It's, you know, it's astounding, but I th- I think it's something that I mean, perhaps a lot. I mean. Um, I guess you could potentially see and say like Buddhism and things like that. But I think it is, I think it probably finds its highest point within Christianity mm. in the sense that our God went through through that. Provo- like the, the cross is the, the, was, the crucifixion is the ultimate exactly. se- provo- act as, of provocative nonviolence. it's not as though it was because he was weak. He's, he, he's God himself. He's- he, says, uh, he says himself that um, when, when he's questioned about, about his kingdom... You know that he could have. Um, if my kingdom were of this world, my men would be here and fight. You mm. know, this is this is a this is someone who could quite easily 
Um, of course, because yeah, if he, Jesus he was is, a political was a political Messiah, that's exactly what everyone was expecting exactly, him to do. Exactly. Um, um, but he's it's that's not as though he doesn't have power. He has complete power. Um, he is the one who is holding his those who are executing him in existence. But when when you have when you have the true God as as your God, I guess it it gives you that power that grace to be able to and of course with with the working with nature in the sense of the training that they do yeah to and be able to live that a big part of it would be helping people prepare to be killed mm. because you know are you willing you know are, you know ask you know ask yourself are you willing to lay your life down for other people so that other people can live live freely mm. it's a question that soldiers have to ask themselves every time they go out in you know out into you know every time they get deployed it's a question that and it's a question, and that was a very real threat. Like that's like we can look, we you know, the, the rose tinted glasses have kind of diminished the the. We sort of just see see segregation as angry people, you know, rather than murderous, very violent people. murderous yeah. people. Like the like, like you know, people were being lynched. Mm. You know, mm. people were you know just you know just for walking down the you know just for walking down the street in their neighbourhood, there were you know. Um, what do you call it? White supremacists coming it's along. Bombing. Not even he mentions wh- bombings. Churches and- were black. Like, churches yeah. were being bombed. You know, women and children were being ki- You know, killed. You know, yeah. pe- like this is. You know, I mean, it's you know, as far as African American people are concerned, you know, they were that people were at war with them, mm. and mm. this is like the vi- the the real risk was that they would be beaten to death by the KKK who came along to count- counter protest, mm. mm. um, and so this. The purification, the self-purification that um, King is talking about, is prepare being prepared to lay to you know lay down your life for this cause, mm. and you know so that other people could win you know win their freedom, mm. even though that there was no guarantee that that's actually that would actually come from your death. Yeah, and so that is um, that puts it a little bit into perspective exactly how provocative. Um, you know, even though all people were doing was sit-ins and you know all the, you know breaking unjust law, you know breaking unjust laws, they um, you know there was a real risk that they could have died from it, not just gone to jail or suffered the legal you know paid fines or suffered the legal consequences of breaking the laws. They could have been killed. Mm. Um, you know, and that is it puts it into context just exactly how provocative it was and how more and how. And how provocative the fact that they are explicitly nonviolent, even though they have a perfectly legitimate and legal, understandable excuse to not be. Their families are being, you know, their their community is under attack. They do have a just, you know, you can put, make a just war case for violence in mm-hmm. this circumstance. But Martin Luther King Jr. said, no, we're going to do this other thing for these reasons, because this will actually work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. this is a different calculation. Now that's a, you make a different, ca- you know, other situations you'd make a different calculation and d- conclude that no, we have to go, we have to fight, we have to, we have to, re- we have to use violence. But um, this beautifully shows the power that nonviolence can have when um, it, the the power that nonviolence can have to sort of shock people into realizing, you know, being faced with their sins. People react violently when people are faced with their sins, um, and it's ugly. Mm. It's really not pretty. Mm. Um, but 
like I said, you got you've got to expose the boil to the light in order mm. to kill in order to get it, you know to kill the bacteria and, and heal it. Um, and I mean that's yeah. Just to put it in perspective, this was a serious. This is this was very serious business. There were lives at stake mm. when this was happening. This wasn't some nice, fun little thing that you know um, black people did so they could sit in, a ca- in any cafe they wanted. Like people's lives were were on the line. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, look, Martin Luther King Jr. himself paid the ultimate price. Yeah, yeah. So, not too long after that letter, actually. What was the exact date of the letter? 63, I think. Um, see, I see that as recent. It's, it's, it, it it's is ridiculous rec- to think that it, it is was recent. so recent. I mean, our grandparents remember this. Mm. This was, yeah, April 16, 1963, and... At 1968, so five okay. years, five years after. Yeah. yeah. April, yeah, yeah. 1968, um, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, look, this is, this letter I think is a fantastic read, I think, for a lot of, a lot of Christians. Um, I mean, we of course have. Well, not just Christians, deep thinkers. Yeah, and- deep thinkers. But I mean, imp- I'm sort of thinking in particular with reference to, I mean, we do have our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, for example, who are mm. suffering. Um, who's suffering intense persecution at this time. But I also think that it, it's good to sort of have these principles in when the public square is increasingly hostile, perhaps not, and certainly not in the sense that um, that African-Americans have ex- experienced in the United States, absolutely certainly not to that extent. Yet, at the same time, I think it's possibly important to try and see, well, if Christians are being pushed out of the public square, and that might, like, it sort of sounds a little bit like, oh, you're just complaining because people don't like your opinions. No, as in, like, you are seriously seeing people's businesses being shut down. And I think this is a good guide. It's, as I said, it's not the same situation. It's a much more violent situation that, that King Jr. was living in and that African-Americans were living in. But it does provide a number of principles, I think, for us to kind of think that an unjust law is no law at all for example, that you can't idly sitting by and allowing the status quo to go is not going to fix anything. Time will not heal these things. No, time doesn't heal anything. That's a it load of... Only, that's a, that's a, it that's, will only that's make a, it work. Like and that anyone negative, who says time that heals, heals all wounds, rubbish. It just makes... It just sits... They just sit there and fester. Mm. And the negative peace is not the kind of peace that we want. That's no. that's what he says. Like, and no, that's he, not a he uses this term peace. negative peace. Mm. Um, so I think that these are these are all fantastic things, and and King Junior has has um, provided an excellent Christian articulation um, of these principles um, for anyone who's interested. And yeah, as I said, anyone who's interested in, in politics, but particularly a Christian viewpoint. I and think anyone who's interested in community organising and all that sort of stuff, Martin Luther King Junior is a fantastic. Like his life and his work and um, the people who worked with him are a fantastic starting point. If you can get their hands on their stuff and read it, it's a really beautiful. Um, it's it's a really wonderful way to see a community working together to bring about a change to an inju- you know a change to an injustice. Mm. And um, given the way that our society is so communally fragmented. It's a real, you know, it's it's almost shocking, you know. You like, you know, your na- neighbors talk to each other, like they and they care and they care about each other. There, mm. it's it's um, it's quite profound. And I, re- I'm 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 sorry, I hadn't read this sooner. Quite frankly, like yeah, it's, it's you know, it's really it's really good. It's very it's very good. Um, and it prints at about ten pages. You can probably read it now. Yeah, you know, it's like a very most. very long essay. Um, it's the- very readable though. 
And there's no like silly, there's no silly, there's no silly like extensive footnotes as well. Well, he couldn't. He as as we mentioned, he wrote this in prison on the margins of newspapers and that. So he has to be succinct. Yes. Um. So does that yeah. mean that he was writing down the quotes from memory? Yep. Yeah. That's all. Awesome. Well, I mean, it was edited later, so he may have just. But I mean, hmm. no, he would yeah. have remembered. But I, I mean, mean, as a as as a, I imagine a Baptist preacher would have a lot of skill in in memorization. That's, true. That's very true. Um, yeah. because you have this great emphasis within for, for Baptists on on homily uh, on, on preaching on preaching. Like you would have very long, and not and only they wouldn't have notes or anything like that. That's so. right. Yeah, and, and they would build momentum. Yeah, yeah. I've seen and it. the rhythm and the moment. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fantastic thing to watch to watch someone give uh, to what, hear a really good sermon. I mean, I was treated to one, a Methodist preacher in um, in Fiji, and um, he gave a nice, neat little like six six seven minute um, for all the uh, English speakers there. And then went on for about half an hour in Fiji, and it was it, we were like I don't know what he, I don't know what he's saying to them, but he did that he didn't say to us. But it sounds really exciting, mind you. All the kids are still asleep, but you know it was hot. It was really hot. Yeah. It was like forty yeah. degrees inside the church, oh, wow. a little brick church. It was spectacular. If you ever get a chance to like hear a proper Protestant preacher, go hear one because yeah, it's nothing. There's nothing like it. Now, I wanted to mention also that one of our listeners, um, Father mm-hmm. Richard Umbers, Woo! Yay, has, has been, been made bishop. Is, yes, is going to be an auxiliary bishop of Sydney. Um, so, if you're listening, Father Richard Umbers, congratulations. Um, this is awesome. I, I, no, this is not a slight against him, but I didn't expect it. Um, <laughs> I'm not not because I didn't think he was <laughs> he was good enough or anything, but just I just didn't expect it. I'm like, wow, that's awesome! So cool, that's he was that's on the fa- list. It's fantastic. Well, it's it's fantastic news and um a great um a great thing for and a great blessing for the Archdiocese of Sydney mm. and perhaps in the future, whatever diocese he goes on to, um to, to shepherd the, yeah to shepherd. So congratulations to Father Richard Umbers and also to whose name I've completely forgotten, but he the former rector of um of the seminary in Brisbane. Um, he's a Monsignor, but he will also be... I'll remember his name very soon because he'll be... He's Italian. I'm, I, I can't remember, but um, nonetheless, um, yeah, it's great news. So, yeah, one of our regular listeners. Yay. Hey, congratulations. Uh, so, but with that, we will um, we'll finish up. Uh, and so, next time, I don't know, you'll hear something next time. Uh, so, Bye. 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 <laughs> That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.